So if you can turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. I'm not going to be talking to you specifically about missions this morning, but I am going to be talking about the message of our mission, and that is the gospel. Amen? And I'm also going to be seeking to magnify uh, in your mind's eye Jesus Christ, because that's what we're all about, right? We're all about reflecting Jesus Christ, learning about Jesus Christ, loving Jesus Christ, and magnifying him in the way we talk, in the way we live. We are all about Jesus. So as we go through these passages of Scripture, as you hear my talk this morning, if I don't magnify Jesus in your eye, I failed you. All right? But you also have the responsibility to be looking for Jesus in the text. Okay? And this morning, what I'm going to be doing is talking to you about Jesus and his interpretation of the moral law. Jesus and how he used the moral law. All right? As Christians, we have to, do, especially living under the new covenant, we have to do something with the moral law, brothers and sisters. And all, throughout uh, New Testament church uh, history, Christians have struggled to interpret the law and the prophets, especially when it comes to the use of the moral law. Some would say, now that we are, or Christ has come, we don't need the law because we're all under grace, right? And all we need to do is just love one another, just as Jesus loved us. How many of you have heard that? Or how many of you have been under that teaching? Okay? It's called antinomianism. All right? And then you have others who would say that the law and the prophets are critical to help believers establish guidelines and boundaries for Christian living under the New Testament age, right? So on the one hand, you have those who say, now that Jesus has come, we don't need law, all right? And they base that interpretation primarily off of Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 and 25, and other passages of Scripture where the Bible says we're not under law but under grace, right? But we want to ask, we know you said that, Lord, we know you spoke that, Jesus, but what do you mean by what you're saying, Lord? We want to make sure that we're not just using the terminology of the Bible, but we want to come up with the same meaning as God when we use the terminology of the Bible. You guys with me? All right? So, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain to you uh, verses 17 through 20, and this is going to um, begin a new section in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's read verses 17 through 20. That's our text. And then I will give you my outline, and then we'll pray. I'm reading from the New King James translation. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all 
is fulfilled. Verse 19, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus there is referring to the use of the law. All right? Verse 20, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. All right? So this is what we're going to do this morning, hopefully. Um, We're just going to look at verse 17. And I have verse 17a and verse 17b. This morning, verse 17a, we're going to answer why Jesus makes the statement, think not that I've come to destroy the law of the prophets. Why did Jesus make that statement to his disciples in his day? And then secondly, in in the heading there, I want to impress upon your conscience, Jesus was no antinomian. Okay, you guys remember how we define antinomianism? Anti meaning against, nomian meaning law. Jesus was no antinomian, okay? I want you guys to know that about your Savior and your Lord. And for those of you who don't know Jesus, learn something about him today, because this applies to your life as well. Jesus was no antinomian. Jesus used law. All right? Jesus didn't come on the scene and say, now that I'm here, we don't need the law and the prophets, right? On the, on the contrary, he says, think not that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I've not come to destroy, but to fulfill. You understand? So Jesus was no antinomian. All right? That's, that's heresy that we're going to point out this morning. But secondly, and hopefully we'll have time to get into 17b, we'll look at how Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And that's my second point, that Jesus Christ is sovereign. He's the sovereign interpreter of the law and the prophets. All right? You guys with me? So the law and the prophets are simply a reference to the old covenant, the Mosaic economy, all right? So law meaning Moses and the Ten Commandments and him giving the law on Mount Sinai and the prophets meaning the people that God chose in Israel's history to communicate his law to the kings, right? The law and the prophets. What that means for us in the modern vernacular, brothers and sisters, today is it's the equivalent of your Old Testament scriptures, okay? You guys with me? So when you think of the law and the prophets, just think of your Old Testament scriptures. All right, is that fair? Is that clear? Okay, it's going to be very technical this morning because i got a lot of explaining to do. And let me say this, this this sermon is going to be strictly informational because I'm setting myself up for how Jesus is going to be uh, utilizing verses 21 through 48. All right, and you'll see that as we work through the text. So those two points, Jesus no antinomian, and Jesus, sovereign interpreter of the law and the prophets. Why don't we pray and ask God to bless our time this morning. God, we pray that uh, you would give us grace this morning that we might rightly divide your word, that we might see your heart, your mind, and your character, that we might love you and come to you. And Lord, if there's any that are outside of Christ and his righteousness, I pray that they would see you as a God who is pleading with them 
to repent and believe and to forsake a works righteousness, to forsake being good before you are trying to be good and hang their lives upon your sacrifice in Jesus. For you indeed so loved us that you gave him that whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so I pray that Christ would be magnified, Lord, in this way to those who know not Jesus. But for those of us who do, God, I just pray that you would help us to glean what you have for us about our great Savior and how he used the moral law. And help us, Lord, on the one hand to avoid the ditch of legalism, as the Pharisees fell into, and help us on the other hand to avoid the ditch of antinomianism. And God, that we might magnify Christ in the way we live. And so we pray for your blessings upon us this morning, and we ask it all for your great glory. Amen. Okay, so um, let me explain to you what's uh, going on in the text here. So we have to back up from the Beatitudes and we're going to take one of those big uh, panoramic views of what's happening in the Sermon on the Mount. So we just finish section 1 and that's verses 1 through 16. And that's Jesus basically explaining to us what a true Christian's attitude looks like. And all of the Beatitudes are that. Follow me? And then we closed out that section with Jesus' application, not Ernie's, but Jesus's. He says, now you, that is those who manifest these attitudes, you be salt and light wherever you're at. You guys with me? And that's verses 1 through 16. Now, big picture. Let's back up. Why is Jesus doing that? Jesus is doing that because he's exposing the corrupt teaching of the scribes and Pharisees in his day. The Pharisees were teaching that you should have national pride, right? You should keep the law. You should be a good Jew. And, and Jesus said, no, 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 no. You, you are misinterpreting the Old Testament when you teach that way. You understand that? And so Jesus had to correct not only the Pharisees, who were the religious elites in his day and those who were doing all the teaching, but he also had to correct the nation of Israel because the nation of Israel under the guidance of the Pharisees, fell into what we call a works-based righteousness before God. All right? You guys with me? That is important. When you understand what's going on here, you're going to understand most of the scriptures. You're going to understand your New Testament. You're going to be able to put it together. I know it's technical. I know I might kind of bore you this morning, but just bear with me. Okay? If you love the Lord and you love your Bible, you'll bear with it. You'll You'll man and woman up, right, by God's grace, right? We can do this. It's okay, even though our attention spans about that much, right? Okay, so Jesus, after correcting Israel and the Pharisees about the proper attitude of the believer, he goes on and he moves to the moral law, all right? He's moving to the moral law, and he's explaining to Israel and his disciples, he says, you see these Pharisees over here? They got that wrong too. (laughs) You understand? And that's what verses 17 all the way to 48 are all about. How Jesus is correcting, okay, the Pharisees in their interpretation of the law and the who? Prophets. Okay? 
And so really what we have here in the Sermon on the Mount, brothers and sisters, and don't miss this, is war. All right? You say, well, what's at stake? What's at stake is a works-based righteousness versus a righteousness apart from the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what's, on, uh, that's what's at stake here in the Sermon on the Mount, okay? And what Jesus is doing throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount is he's explaining to us what faith-based righteousness before God looks like. And you and I are to examine our lives according to the Sermon on the Mount to see if we have this faith-based righteousness. Follow me? Because if you don't, the only other righteousness that is, is guess what? Workspace. And your workspace righteousness might be something as simple as this. You know, I don't believe in that Jesus stuff, and I don't think I need a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, and so on and so forth. I just think my goods should weigh out my what? And God should accept me based upon that. You know what the Bible calls that? Works-based righteousness. And that's the fastest way to go to hell. That's where you'll end up if you try to approach God on that basis. You better have a different righteousness. You understand? Tracking with me? Okay? So Jesus, in the, in, in the whole of the Sermon of the Mount, is explaining to his disciples and, and the Jews in his day, he's saying, hey, if you've been understanding the law and the prophets correctly, this is what it should look like. Big problem, right? Because the Pharisees weren't explaining it that way. You guys with me? The Pharisees were explaining a different righteousness. And it confused the people. And the people were starting to wonder. Just like some of you might wonder about the teachers in your day. And what we're teaching you. And you should. Is Chaplain Ernie or Pastor Ernie preaching workspace righteousness? Or does he understand Jesus in the gospel? Right? There's nothing new under the sun. Right? And there's men and women who are so-called preaching a gospel that's not rooted in Jesus. And you and I need to discern that. Okay? So, um, Jesus begins to address the Pharisees' misinterpretations of the law and the prophets, and he does that by the, making this statement. He says in verse 17 to his disciples in the nation, don't think that I've come to destroy the law and the prophets. The Greek word translated, for, or translated destroy in our text, at least in the New King James uh, rendering, is kataleo. It means to do away with. It's translated as dissolve, overthrow, or throw down. Okay? That's what that Greek word means where Jesus says, don't think that I've come to do that with the law. Destroy it, throw it down, or, or uh, do away with it. What Jesus is effectively saying to his disciples in the modern vernacular is this. Don't think for a moment that I, I'm contrary to the law and the prophets. All right? Don't think for one second that I'm going to invalidate them. You guys with me? That's what he's saying there in the text. He said, I, I have not come to destroy or invalidate or in any way minimize the law and the prophets. Rather, I've come to what? Fulfill them. All right? Now, why in the world would Jesus have to say that? And why would you and I need to know this? Okay? Jesus makes this statement for two main reasons. Now, track with me here. This is very technical, but just, just follow along. And I'm going to help you guys to know your Bibles as you do. What's going on in the whole of Scripture? 
Old Testament, New Testament, and why these people called Judaizers, and in the book of Galatians, why Paul has to warn the Galatians and write a letter to them to not go back to this kind of righteousness, you know, those sorts of things. Why in Romans chapter 10, you know, the Jews didn't get in, and, and, and it went out to the Gentiles and all that kind of stuff, election and sovereignty and all those things. That's Bible. We need to know that. We need to know how it works. And we need to be convinced in it to where our faith is strong and we can articulate it. You understand that? You guys follow me? So we need to know our Bibles. Okay? So Jesus makes this statement for two main reasons. And the first one is you have to keep in mind that Jesus was proving to Israel that he was who? The coming Messiah. Follow me? And what that meant is in order for him to be received as Messiah, his teaching had to be consistent with what? The law and the prophets. Because everyone in Israel knew that the Old Testament foreshadowed or spoke of a coming Messiah. Follow me? So for the Messiah to come and to be inconsistent with the law and prophets, the nation of Israel would know that, hey, that's a heretic. He's not even consistent with who? The law and the prophets. You guys with me? So Jesus had to be consistent with the law and the prophets. Otherwise, he'd be exposed for being a heretic. Okay? Um, and I want you to see this in the scriptures so that you guys can see that the scriptures are teaching this. And this is not something I'm coming up with. So the first passage I want you to turn you to is John chapter 8. And then you're going to see why the Pharisees hated Jesus so much. And then you're also going to see why it is that those who are works-based persecute those who are faith-based, even in the church today. Then you're going to see why Hagar, who had a son, Ishmael, persecuted who? Isaac. Was it Isaac? Yeah, Isaac, a child of promise, faith. See, it goes all the way back to the Old Testament, the storyline, right? And in Jesus' day, he faced it with this group called Pharisees. What does it look like in our day, brothers and sisters? This battle, all right? In John chapter 8, and this is just an illustration. This is all throughout your New Testament. You can, you know, just do eeny, meeny, miny, mo, boom, and you'll see it. Okay, it's one of those things. Um, so in John chapter 8, Jesus is battling with the Pharisees because the Pharisees are trying to destroy his ministry and his name and his reputation. And they know that if they can get Jesus to uh, go contrary to Moses, then the people would see that he's not what? The Messiah. And so all throughout the New Testament, or, or uh, the Gospels, I should say, not the New Testament, the four Gospels, you'll see the Pharisees pursuing or persecuting Jesus, trying to bring him down. And the way they do that is they try to pit him against Moses. They try to pit him against the law and the prophets. That's their goal. They know if we can, if we can, if we can get the nation to see that Jesus is inconsistent with the law and the prophets, people will stop following him. You understand? Be like me. You know, if you guys can uh, see that I'm inconsistent with mainstream teachers, right? Orthodox teachers, right? You probably wouldn't follow me either, right? But the question is, am I following what? The scriptures, okay? We'll get back to that. 
Um, John chapter 8 reads this way. I got these marks in my Bible and I don't even use them. Okay, let's begin at verse 2. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. So she was guilty, right? Because she was caught in the act, okay? Now Moses in the law commands us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? See what, the, see what the scribes and Pharisees are doing right here now? See, the scribes and Pharisees that knew that Jesus was interpreting the law and the prophets differently. He came with mercy and grace, right? And so they see this woman caught in adultery, and they're like, hmm, this is a good opportunity. The law, Moses, and the prophets say such should be stoned to death under Mosaic economy, but what do you say? And they're like, ah, we got him. Right? Let's see what he does. Is he going to contradict the law and the prophets? Or, let's read. So they continued asking him. He raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin amongst you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their consciences went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus has raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one, con has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus just delivered another sinner from the law. How did he do it? By sacrificing who? Himself. He's the only one, okay, that can do what he just did with this woman. Do you guys understand that? And then he used his wisdom to disarm a pharisaical approach to using law in your Bible and so on and so forth. Do you guys understand that? You guys with me? So I highlight that passage because I don't want to get into what, how Jesus used the law and the prophets right now. I, I want to say that I'm, I'm just highlighting this passage to show you that the Pharisees were constantly trying to do what? Pit him against the law and the prophets because they knew that Jesus had to be consistent with the law and the prophets. So there's, in, there's, there's no inconsistency here, brothers and sisters. You guys understand that? It's just a different what? nuance or interpretation than what the Pharisees were doing. Follow me? You guys tracking with me? Okay. Don't confuse that. Jesus having a different interpretation, Jesus nuancing different, 
nuancing it differently and Jesus applying it differently doesn't mean he's inconsistent with the law and prophets. Okay? So the Pharisees were applying the law and the prophets legalistically, rigidly, and they were stoning people. Right? Letter of the law. Guilty, no mercy, no sacrifice, no grace. Guilty, she deserves what? Death. Is that how you use the law as a Christian? Is that the flavor of your soul in your parenting, on your block, or when you hear on the news that other sinners are actually sinning, right? And not only actually sinning, but sinning against who now? Me. See, it's one thing for someone to steal the neighbor's car. I'll forgive them because it ain't my stuff, right? But don't let them come around my place. And don't let them do that to me, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Because when that happens, I want the letter of the what? Law. I want justice, right? But that's not what we see Jesus doing. That's not the character of God. See, I told you I want you guys to look at Jesus and the way he used the law and the prophets, the way he manifested and applied them in life. We don't see a rigid Pharisee, we see a gracious Savior. Amen? You understand that? That is our God. That's what He's like. That's what we need to manifest to people first and foremost. You understand? Not law, grace, mercy, the reflection of the character of God, just like Jesus did to this woman caught in adultery. And the only reason why He can do that is because this woman knew. This man's about to give his life, shed his blood for me so that I might have life. Do you understand that? And that's why Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Do you understand? He's the hope of the world. So Jesus wasn't inconsistent with the, 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 the Old Testament prophets. So that's the first point. Um, or he wasn't inconsistent with Mosaic economy, the Old Covenant. And I need to say that for the record because... It's, there's a lot going on here, brothers and sisters, in terms of understanding your Bible and the issues at stake. Um, so, but there's another reason why Jesus makes the statement, think not that I've come to destroy the law and the prophets. And we, we've touched upon it already, but I, I want to begin to further develop it. And that is because Jesus' interpretation of the law and prophets manifested what we know today, a righteousness by faith, in Christ, okay? A righteousness which comes by faith through Christ. So all that to say this, when you guys think of justification and salvation, don't just stop with getting in to heaven, all right? The righteousness that you receive from God goes way beyond just you getting into heaven. It changes who you are. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you relate. Follow me? It's, it's, it's a righteousness. It's a, way of, it's a way of life. Follow me? It's not just something that's done. It's who we are now. 
okay? And we're to grow in that all of our days. We're, we're, we're to work out our salvation, and we're to learn what this righteousness by faith looks like here, 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 and here. How does it look like on my na- uh, towards my neighbor when he's breaking into my car, if he is, or whatever? How does it look when, with my neighbor who's just sick out of the hospital, and, and, and I have a responsibility to show Christ to him? What does it look like when in parenting? What does it look like in husband and wife relationship? What does the righteousness by faith look like lived out? You guys understand me? Because those who are truly justified live by what? The just live by faith. That's the evidence that they've been justified. The pardoned, those, those who've been given a pardon, that's what justified means, they live by faith on the planet. You understand? That's the evidence that you've been justified. Your faith. Okay? So your faith, or what you're calling faith, you better stuff the meaning of that with Jesus and what he's doing. Not Pharisees, Jesus. Okay? So let me show you this. Turn to Romans chapter 10. And this has to do with where Israel wound up because of the Pharisees, because of the Sadducees, because of the the religious elite in their day. Um, I want to turn you to Romans chapter 10, and then we're going to turn to John chapter 3, and I want you to see the gospel lived out before one of these Pharisees. Romans chapter 10 says this, beginning at verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul reflecting God's heart and desire for his nation, his fellow countrymen, and that's Israel. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel, are you guys with me? Is that they might be what? Saved. Saved. You think God, I mean, Israel has a bigger heart, or Paul has a bigger heart than God? Of course not. His desire for Israel is that they might be what? Don't you guys desire that for your fellow Americans? I hope so. I hope so. You better flavor your soul. Okay, we struggle, right? We're not perfect like Jesus, and we don't have to be, thank God for that, but we need to be moving in this direction, right? Growing. As you guys sit under the Word and you hear these things, you can call upon God's name and say, Lord, make me more like Jesus and Paul and all these guys who are living out the gospel. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, that's the nation of Israel, but not according to knowledge. They misinterpreted it. Okay, the law and the prophets. Their knowledge was off. For they being ignorant, this is, this is, this is the problem, listen to verse 3, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. Hmm. So the nation of Israel knew what they were doing. That term ignorant doesn't mean that they just didn't know, like our children just don't know certain things. That term ignorant means they willfully chose to reject something and replace it with something else. You guys with me? Hence, why you have the Pharisees coming into power. The nation on the whole wanted a works-based righteousness. Follow me? It's easier. 
in many respects because you don't have to deal with the heart. And that's where we're going back in Matthew chapter 5, the way Jesus uses the law. The law gets way beyond externals, right? And it begins to penetrate to your hearts. And the word of God searches you there and brings you to a place to where you say, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. And you don't feel good about yourself like the Pharisees because they weren't using the law to address their hearts. They were just using it to address the externals, right? Do you use the law that way? Or do you see your heart? And because you see your heart, you see your need for Jesus daily, right? See, when, when, I, when, I, when I hear about a brother who's stuck in sexual sin, I know my what? Heart. That whosoever looks to lust is already committed adultery where? In his heart. That's how Jesus was using the law. So all of us men are what? Guilty, right? Because we know we all have a problem there in our hearts. So none of us can rise up like a Pharisee and say, you know what, I'm better, I don't do. No, we're all guilty. And that's where God wants you to be. Because, see, the only way to receive the righteousness which is by faith is you have to see yourself as a what? Sinner. You understand? And God's designed his law to help you to see that. That's the whole point of the law. It comes, not so that you can keep it to get brownie points. Okay, what do you want me to do next, Lord? Got that law down. You want me to pray? Okay, I'll go do that. And the Pharisees had that down. They stand on the street corner so that men could be seen, and they do it externally. And God's up in heaven like, they don't get it. They don't know how to use the law. They're so proud. And look, they actually think they're better than the rest of humanity. What? That is not the reason why I gave the law angels, right? We're going to have to go send a prophet down there to get them straight, right? And that's what you see all throughout the Old Covenant, right? You see these people who weren't saved by grace. They didn't want the grace of God, but they wanted to get right with God on their own terms. And they were taking the law and the word of God and creating their own righteousness like Israel was doing. And many false religions do in our day. All right? He says in verse 4, or verse 3, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness has not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the, this righteousness. Now check this out. This is amazing to me. You know what Paul's saying here? Paul's saying to a Jewish mind that understood the law and the prophets taught by a Pharisee that Moses was saying, we need to keep the law to get what? Right, circumcise your uh, child on the eighth day, follow the covenant, do this, make sure you bring your blood sacrifices and all that stuff. Okay, the Jews were understanding because some were teaching that, that that's the way you get right before God. You do these things and God is happy with you. Follow me? But what Paul's doing here is Paul's showing the Jew who was thinking that way, no, this was, this, was, this was a wrong interpretation of the law and prophets, and even David knew this. Even Moses knew this. 
And all the holy saints of old knew this. You guys with me? Follow me? Hmm. So there's this problem, not only in Jesus' day, but there was this problem with law-based righteousness and righteousness by faith all the way back under the Old Covenant in Moses' day. And there was a line of believers who were saved by the grace of God, and yes, they're called the elect ones, who understood this righteousness, which is by faith in Christ alone, all the way back then. You understand? And they hung their lives on the promises of God, waiting for the coming Messiah, right? And when Jesus came on the scene, that's who he was searching and seeking for, those who were waiting based upon the promises of God's word that I'm bringing a Messiah. He is with me. Faith, faith, not works, faith in Christ alone. All right. Now I want to give you one illustration of this. Turn to John chapter 3. Paul himself, before he became a Christian, was a Pharisee. And he thought that God would receive him based upon his getting it right. He thought that God would accept him and bring him into heaven because he was law-abiding, law-keeping. Follow me? You should read his resume in Philippians chapter 3. And that was his boast before God in all Israel. But then Jesus introduced himself to Paul, and Paul broke and became a Christian. All right? Here's another Pharisee that Jesus confronts with his sin, right? Let's read it, and maybe we'll stop here for this morning. And I want to magnify the gospel of God's grace in your eyes with Jesus converting a Pharisee, okay? So, so let me just say this before we begin. There's all types of sinners in this room. There's self-righteous sinners, there's murderers, there's, there's, there's uh, sexually immoral sinners, there's, there's um, you name it, we're it, right? And then there's all of the above, right? You got a little bit going on in every area. That would be me, okay? Well, Nicodemus was a self-righteous, pharisaical sinner, that means he looked very good on the outside. We'd all probably want him to be our neighbor, right? He, he's not going to break into your car. He's not going to be checking out your wife. He's not going to be doing things like he's cleaned up. You understand? He's been under this law, and he's been trying to live according to that and he's, in an external sense, and he's been cleaned up. And we're, we, we like those kind of people around us. You follow me? You know what I'm talking about? Okay? But Nicodemus was clueless in reference to his heart. Okay? He couldn't even see himself as a sinner. Watch. Let's pick it up in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So what is Nicodemus doing here? He's, Nicodemus is the leading teacher in Israel. 
He's like Dr. Phil, okay, in the psychological world, right? I don't know if Dr. Phil's still on the top, but like the, the leading expert on psychology. Well, Nicodemus was the leading lawyer or, or, or teacher of the law in his day. Follow me? And so Nicodemus wants to give Jesus a chance, and so he comes to Jesus by night. And by the way, Nicodemus is not a little man coming because he's curious to see who Jesus was. Don't understand the text this way. Nicodemus is responsible for Jesus. He is the leading authority in Israel, and if Jesus is a heretic, Nicodemus needs to lead the charge under the old covenant to do what to him? Put him to death. Stone him. Do you understand that? You guys with me? So this is not some little innocent, curious man coming to snow. He's like, I got to do something here. This is all weighing on me. I got to find out who this man is. Because if he is the Messiah, I missed it. You understand that? But if he's not the Messiah, then we got a problem. And we got to deal with it. Right? Okay? Verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So how does Jesus answer Nicodemus' question? You know, who are you? Now we know that you've come from God because you're doing all these miracles and, and, and Jesus said, Nicodemus, Nicodemus, Nicodemus. You need something to understand who I am. You must be what? Right? That's Christianity 101, brothers and sisters. Follow me? You must be born again. The Pharisees weren't teaching this. They were teaching a righteousness by law, right? When, when, the, when the children grow up, they just start them getting out doing things, you know. And the law says this, son, and you be a good little Jewish boy, and you, you get circumcised and do all this, and, 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 and you'll, be, you'll be God's, you know, good boy. That's the way Nicodemus was teaching righteousness or how you approach God. Jesus starts with, you need to be born again. You can't even know who I am. You can't even see me unless something happens to you. And being born again, brothers and sisters, is a sovereign act of God's grace. We can't do that. You understand? I, can't, I, can, I can keep the law. If, 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 if the law says, don't look at that woman, I cannot look at that woman, right? I can't make myself born again. You understand? I need to go outside of myself and rely upon another to do that. That's where faith begins. You understand that? Outside of yourself, hanging on God's promise. You see? So Nicodemus, the leading scholar, the leading teacher in his day, didn't even understand Christianity 101, that a man must be born again in order to be made right with God. You can't even see the kingdom of God or Jesus Christ unless you're born again. Hence why Israel missed... The coming of who? Messiah. This message wasn't being taught. You must be born again. You must be a, a new creation. Follow me? He goes on, verse 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of the... Well, Nicodemus, verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, this is how we know that Nicodemus didn't understand this, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Right? So Nicodemus is thinking what? Physically, carnally. How can I, I, can I, see, that works mentality. I, just tell me what I need to do. I, I can't do that. And Jesus said, you're getting it, aren't you? You can't do that. You need grace. You need me. You need to go outside of yourself 
You can't trust you for the first time in your life. You understand? Now, Nicodemus is starting to feel what? Nervous, right? I'm not used to this righteousness that he's talking about, and it's consistent with the law and the prophets. You understand? He goes on. Jesus answered him, and Jesus is correcting his thinking. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is this. Don't worry about being born again. You can't do that. That's a sovereign act of God. But there is something that we need to focus on, and that's what I want to draw your attention to, okay? Jesus is evangelizing a Pharisee here, brothers and sisters, okay? He's evangelizing a Pharisee here. Watch. Verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Now watch this. Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and you do not know these things? Right? Remember, Nicodemus was coming to check out to see who Jesus was, to see if Jesus was consistent with being the Messiah or not. And Jesus is beginning to turn this on who? Wait a minute. Aren't you a leading teacher in Israel, and you don't even know this? Hmm. Gotcha. You understand? See, Nicodemus is worthy of what? Death under the old covenant. And he's beginning to see that now. Wait a minute. We got it all wrong. And if we got it all wrong, it means that we have to start answering before who? God. And you know what the law says? For those of you who want to just use the law, like the Pharisees were doing with that woman caught in adultery, now it's your turn, Nicodemus. Okay? Now, do you want me, do you want me to exercise justice or mercy here? Watch. Watch what Jesus does. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify that we have seen and you have not received our witness. And Jesus is referring to there of him and his posse, him and his disciples. He's telling Nicodemus, you know, you Pharisees, he says, uh, you don't even know the first thing about getting right with God and, and how a man is to be made right with God. We speak what we know and we testify of what we have heard and seen and you do not receive our witness. Meaning the Pharisees were antithetical to Jesus and his following and his disciples on the earth. You guys realize that, right? Okay. Notice what he says. If, you, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Then he says this, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Listen, Jesus is using Moses to preach the gospel to Nicodemus. He is using the law and the prophets on a man who's supposed to be an expert in the law and the what? Prophets. Watch the different interpretation. Watch how Jesus applies it. Watch how Jesus nuances the law and the prophets. You guys know the story of, of, of Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness, right? The children of Israel were rebelling against God, and God sent serpents, poisonous serpents, to kill them. And they were dying, and Moses, out of his love for God's people and his people, says, oh Lord, be merciful. What do we do? And God has mercy, and God says, take a serpent, put it on a pole, and whosoever what? 
looks should not what? Perish, but have everlasting what? Right? Back then, under the old covenant. You understand? This gospel message was seen back then under the old covenant. When you read that uh, passage in Numbers, when that's all taking place, I think it's in Numbers, that's, what you, that's how you should be thinking about that passage. The gospel is being taught there. All right? So everyone who looked to the serpent lived, but those who didn't, and you'd be thinking, who would not want to look at the serpent? Do you understand? Why would anyone not want to look at the serpent? Well, there's a reason for that. But anyway, back to the lecture, or the point. Verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, Jesus referring to himself, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, listen to me, brothers and sisters, you have to catch this. That passage that we love, John 3.16, that's probably the most... Um, exploited passage in all of Scripture and wonderfully exploited, okay? I don't know if I want to use the word exploit there. That has a negative connotation, right? But I meant um, quoted or, or preached or you know, the guy with the rainbow hair at the football game holding up John 3.16, right? We all know about him, right? Okay, him. Just keep him in mind when I'm... So here, Jesus is speaking that passage in a context. Do you know who he's talking to? He's talking to a Pharisee that's worthy of death for misleading the children of Israel into a workspace righteousness and missing the whole point of their existence, the coming of the Messiah. And you would think that Jesus would what? Be angry with him. Because Jesus is who? God. He's the Messiah. He would have the right to just haul off on everybody in Israel. And you got it wrong too. And yeah, you too. And did you know that this was... We don't see Jesus going around like a madman doing that, do we? No. We see a gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abundant in goodness. But by no means does he clear the guilty. He hangs himself on the, the cross. Because by no means does he clear the guilty. You understand? just like he did for that woman caught in adultery. So Jesus doesn't come to Nicodemus and say, you know what, Nicodemus, I should treat you just like you were treating that woman caught in adultery. How's that, buddy? Take that, right? No, he applies the same thing that he did to the woman caught in adultery to who? Another sinner with a different style of sinning. Do you understand that? You understand? Both worthy of what? Death. The wages of sin is death, brothers and sisters. There's no sin, okay? There's no sin that's not worthy of death. Not one. You understand that? You sin, you have to what? That's what the Bible means when it says all fall short of the standard of God, perfection, and all have sinned and come falling short of that. You understand? You sin, it puts you under the law. You sin, it puts you under the law. Your only hope from that point is you have to put your hope in another. You understand? And I don't care how good you are or how cleaned up you are on the outside. I don't care if your neighbor sinned five billion times and you only sinned once, you both are worthy of what? Death, meaning you need another righteousness. 
You can't think pharisaical. You can't say, well, yeah, but him over there, he's really dirty, Lord, and I just got one piece of dirt here. And God says, well, you fall short of my standard. You're not perfect. You need another righteousness, one that comes by faith in my son. Look to the pole and believe and trust Nicodemus. And Nicodemus has to make a choice here, brothers and sisters, just like you and I do. Because Nicodemus, upon believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, knows that he has to go back to who? The world of the Pharisees and those who want a righteousness based upon law. Because they know that they've invested in this righteousness. They know that this righteousness is bringing in money in Israel over the years. They know that this righteousness sells books. They know that this righteousness has been promoted for years and years and years and has built Israel to a degree. You think we're going to stop and change that all of a sudden for this Jesus? You understand? You guys know what I'm talking about? It ain't no different for you and I, brothers and sisters. Okay? What is the brand of your righteousness? Are you a follower of Jesus? Do you study him? Do you look at him when you read passages of scriptures to see what he's like, how he handles things? And do you want to emulate that? You understand? See, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it means to be a disciple. And if, you're, if, if you know nothing of who Jesus is, I, I, I want to share with you this message. He says this in verse 16, or verse 14. And, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever. You know what that means? Any of you who are hearing this message right now who do not have this righteousness, it's for you. You can come. You can call upon the name of Jesus right now and be forgiven of all your sins if you're willing to repent and hang your life on him and become a follower of him. Do you understand that? That is the message of the gospel. That's the only hope for you today in terms of your sin and your standing before God and where you end up for eternity. All right? He says, for God, who? God. Jesus is saying about God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he's telling him a Pharisee who needs salvation. He says, for God so loved the world. And I believe that's everyone, brothers and sisters. All right? I don't believe that you can actually faithfully represent God's character to the world without including everyone. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? See, here's the issue. You guys might be thinking, well, yeah, but you know what? That makes faith a work. And then we're right back to work. So we'll get to that. We'll talk about that, okay? But right now, what I want to do is I want to focus you on God's character above all else. All right, because God's a jealous God, and he wants his character to be magnified in truth. And the Bible's telling us that God, the God who made you, so loved the world, so loved you, that he did this. He put his son on a cross and hung him there for your sins. 
Now, no one in this room should question God's character in terms of how he feels about you and what he wants you to do in light of that. Do you understand that? See, boys and girls, listen to me. You need to understand that about God. God so loved the world, God so loved you, that he did this to prove to you, put his son on a cross, that you should turn from your sins and have life. What are you going to do with the message of the gospel? Are you going to reject it? Or are you going to fall on your knees and say, God, be merciful to me, the sinner, and be saved? You understand that? That's the gospel. Let me finish this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. I just showed you that with the woman caught in adultery. I just showed you that with Jesus, what he's doing with Nicodemus right here. And we, brothers and sisters, in the way we present the gospel, shouldn't be having a condemning flavor. Follow me? Because God did not send his son into the world to condemn sinners. God doesn't want people to understand that about his character. All right? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he does not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. God knows that for those who reject the gospel and don't want anything to do with a faith-based righteousness, you know why they're doing that? Because they want to keep their what? Sin. You understand that? And, they want, and the only way that they can do that is they need a righteousness. Because nobody can what? continue to sin and call it sin and still keep a righteous standing. That's the whole point of all false religions. It's the whole point of Phariseeism. You guys with me? There's only one way for you and I to be made right with God, and that's by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and become a follower of Jesus Christ. That is the message of the gospel, and that message goes for all of you who are outside of Christ today. Humble yourselves. Look to Jesus Plead with him. Ask him to forgive you and become a follower of Jesus and he will save you. Amen?